My name is uh, Nicole Marinelli, and this is my husband, Craig. Craig was going here, and uh, he asked me, invited me to go to his service, and um, I, I got touched, you know, by the Lord. I, I um, was a, a victim of uh, spousal abuse, and my former husband was mostly psychologically, and then during my battle with breast cancer, he was um, physically abusive and um, demanded a divorce while I was going through chemo. Um, so I came to this church very broken. But through the grace of God, um, I, um, I went to a freedom session. In that program, I was able to deal with all the hurts um, that I was experiencing. I grew up in Indiana and uh, I was saved in the 70s. After I was saved, uh, uh, I eventually joined the Air Force and was overseas for a long time and moved back to the States and I got uh, a job here at McCord Air Base and so I started working out there and had a house in Lacey. So eventually we started attending the church here. It was really biblically based and it really, really kind of made me a rock in my faith as I worked in the missions field. I did a trip to Mongolia and uh, on that trip I was bringing in some things to a a communist country that I wasn't supposed to bring in. And on the flight there, I was wondering, well, how am I gonna get these Bibles and this, these Jesus videos into the country? And I was standing in line thinking about that. I talked to a lady in front of me and she introduced herself as Sandra Day O'Connor. And so the Supreme Court Justice was on the same flight with me. And so God's got this because everybody didn't want anything to do with me. They just went all to Sandra Day O'Connor. So I went right through immigration and customs and no questions. I went on the first mission trip, and it was there that I witnessed the hand of God. I mean, people were, uh, miracles were happening, people were being healed, um, demons were being cast out, and the level of my faith just grew exponentially um, after this experience. Craig and I decided, well, why don't we go to Mexico and we'll plant a house church in Ensenada. So for the past two years, Craig and I have been down in Ensenada um, doing outreaches. Uh, we go to recovery homes uh, for you know drug abuse. Um, some of these women um, were also victims of abuse. We came up with the idea of bringing Teen Challenge to Ensenada. So that's gonna be also a part of our ministry is um, a church, a church plant and then um, a Teen Challenge program. During COVID, when we were down there, uh, every, nobody was getting permits for any outreaches, and, and we applied for a permit down there in Rosarito, Mexico. And in and, and all of Rosarito, we were the only ones to get a permit to have a have a outreach, and 500 people showed up, and, and so many people were saved that day. So God has just shown us over and over again that mm -hmm. if you're willing and you're faithful to His Word, God, God provides, and, and He just and he has that great message that he's always there for us. He's not a distant God, but he's a God that's close to us and, and wants to love us and take care of us. What a great story. It's just fun when you have people in your church and they move to another country and they serve Jesus like that. And uh, I love the, that Craig said, uh, this is a biblically based church and it became a rock for us. Uh, you know, if you're here and you're new, just know this, that we're gonna preach the Bible in this church unapologetically. 
And if the pastor ever preaches his own opinion or the, or the newspaper, go to another church, <laughs> no matter what church you're at. And so we're going to walk with the Bible today, and I love stories like that. I want to just remind you of something today. You don't have to be rich to have a rich Christmas. And sometimes a week or a month before Christmas, it's good to just stop and say, you know what? I need to make sure that I have the right mindset because there's going to be some chaos. There's going to be a lot of things going on, as has already gone on in your life. But I want to make sure on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, my mindset is not in an unhealthy place. And maybe today is a great day just to stop and say, it's okay if this doesn't happen perfectly. And it's okay if this person doesn't think we did everything right for Christmas or this person didn't like the decorations or the food or whatever happened or the travel. Wouldn't it be great if you just decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to honor the Lord this Christmas. I'm going to love the people in my life this Christmas. And uh, I'm not, not going to be so concerned if the gift is perfect, the food is perfect, the decorations are perfect, or the stress of your life. Let's just decide today, I'm going to have a rich, meaningful Christmas. And maybe that's some depth of conversation. Maybe that's looking back on your life, watching some home videos of your family. Uh, let's just make sure that we have a rich Christmas, not because of money, but because of relationships. Amen? And so I want to encourage you, if you need to make a decision today, just make that and define that for yourself. If you have your Bible today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. This is the third part of a series about wonder, and we're on to the part about the wise men today in Matthew chapter 2. Let me just remind you of this. It's a dark time in the world when Jesus comes into the world. There are 400 years between what we have written in the end of the Old Testament to the New Testament. It wasn't that God wasn't alive. It wasn't that God wasn't moving. But we have very little record of it. And it seems to be that things have gotten quite off track. Listen, for the believers at that time, the Romans were controlling their lives. I mean, if you were a believer, like the Romans were controlling your lives, they were taxing you, overtaxing you, threatening you, uh, treating the Jewish people like they were lower class citizens. Uh, on top of that, the religious leaders uh, made the Old Testament laws their God. And things got very, faith got very legalistic. What do you do when you are, um, you know, overwhelmed by tyrants, taking your money, treating you like a second-class citizen, and even the, the leaders of the people of God have gotten legalistic in their faith. People might have felt forgotten. They would, they would read about the, the history of God and their people, but perhaps it just wasn't active in their generation. Very little prophecy or miracles and manifestations at least written about during that time. It is a dark time. And listen, I think that we underestimate how desperate the world was for hope when Jesus was born. Like, it is a really difficult time. And I, I just picture Jesus like being this light that just cuts through the darkness. Um, just like that angelic choir with the shepherds out in the field, the light just cuts through the darkness. And that's what the Messiah does. The people were looking for a leader, a warrior, a wise man, a military hero. In the Old Testament, you know, they find Saul. And they go, you're going to be our king. Man, you're handsome. You're tall. You're from this great family. Like, you're going to be the guy. And I sometimes wonder if people who were looking for the Messiah when Jesus was born, if they were kind of like, hey, look at so-and-so's son. Hey, look at that guy. He looks impressive. Like, maybe he's going to lead us. Maybe he's going to throw off Rome. Uh, he's going to be the one that uh, leads us uh, in this battle against tyranny and brings our freedoms back and the blessings back to our people. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus comes to save, but he doesn't deliver the people of God from financial oppression, though there was. 
He doesn't uh, lead them uh, for military, against the military oppression, though there was. He delivered them from their sins. Listen, Jesus came to save us from our sins. He didn't come to make us rich. He didn't come to say, look at us. We are so powerful. There were some people looking because of their pain for hope in other areas. But Jesus came to save us from our sins. So Christmas is the story of the Son of God coming to live among us. It's nothing short of miraculous. There's nothing like natural about the Christmas story. It's supernatural. Why would God do it? Why would God go through so much trouble, so much heartache? Like why would Jesus, the Son of God, come and put on flesh and live among us and teach us and show us and then be tortured and crucified for our sins? This extravagant love, it's far greater than you realize. I'm still learning and understanding the grace of God and the love of God in my life, and I think I will be to the very end, to my very last breath. But my, my thought is this. We simply still don't grasp the depths of God's love for us. We still don't fully understand how much God loves us. Perhaps if we continue to study uh, the word about Christmas and what Jesus did on the cross at Easter, maybe we'll get a better understanding of it. So if you have Matthew chapter uh, 2, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. A wonderful, godly, righteous man, King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived uh, in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Certainly, this is not natural. This is supernatural. Wise men from the east. First of all, um, what, what does it mean to be a, a wise man or a magi? The word magi is the plural form of the word magist. It's where we get our word magic, right? And literally, it was people in ancient times that they were thought to have some supernatural or magical powers or some supernatural wisdom. In reality, we don't know if there was three wise men or if there was 300. We don't really uh, have uh, an understanding of that. The tradition picks up three. But the Bible just says wise men. Um, magi were interested in dreams. And they're really interested in interpreting dreams and astrology and, and, and uh, you know, books of that nature and thought to, mis to contain mysterious references to the future. Here's what I think is so cool. Since the Magi were into astrology, God used astrology to lead them to him. And whatever you're into, God can use that and lead you to him through what you're into. Apparently, these men came to Bethlehem spurred on by these astrological calculations uh, they probably built up this expectation of a kingly figure working through assorted Jewish books like they had actually read about the Jewish Messiah just as much as the Jewish people had. And what does it mean that they came from the east? First of all, I don't trust, I'm, I trust people from the Pacific Northwest, not from the east, all right? So when I hear east, I go, well, that's not us. We're west and we're northwest and, you know, up here. These people that came from the east, east of Jerusalem, east of Palestine, they're not Jews themselves. East almost certainly means from Persia, Babylonians. Um, Persia had an understanding of the, Jew, uh, the Jews. Listen, think about this for a moment. These eastern Gentile people who are not Jewish people who don't believe in the Old Testament Bible, they are educated, wise Persian men, and they would undoubtedly have heard about um, these three men that had been thrown into fire, but they didn't burn up. That's in their history too. They likely read about Daniel, the Jewish man who served their king uh, and, and could interpret dreams. 
And they would have looked at Daniel as a magic man who had the help of God and it shut the mouth of lions. So even though these are foreign people from an eastern land, they have some understanding of these incredible people, these, these Israelite people, these Jewish people and their God. But what I love about the story is the Magi are Gentiles. Because I'm a Gentile. The Magi are people who don't live in Jerusalem or in the surrounding area. They're from an eastern land. They're people who are far from God. Listen, I'm a person who's far from God, far from Jerusalem, right? Like, I don't feel like I have an inside track. These people, how are they going to know God? And God speaks to them through dreams, and God uses them and has them follow a star. It's incredible. What a trip this was for these guys. Uh, it's not like a week, like Joseph and Mary on their way to Bethlehem to follow the census of Jesus is born where the prophecy says. It's not like a, a few days or a week. We're talking about a trip that's probably months and could even be years. I would love it if I just came up here next Sunday morning and said, hey, I believe God wants our church to all load up on, on wagons and maybe some horses, horse-drawn carriages, and we're going to go to Oklahoma together. <laughs> it might take a few months. It might even take years. Honestly, having a wagon would be more comfortable than what they probably had if they had a camel or a donkey or slept out under the stars. And, and I think maybe we just don't understand, like, our version of travel is so easy in comparison to their understanding of travel. That was nice of those guys to come hundreds of miles in those, what? what? <laughs> Can you imagine that trip, that travel? Verse 1 says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Jesus was born in Bethlehem just as the prophet had said. And these men come from the east, uh, eastern lands, and they come into Jerusalem. And I, I love this part. They come asking. I love that these guys, these, listen, wise people came asking good questions. And maybe we should stop and just ask ourselves something for a moment here. Uh, do we ask good questions in our lives? You know, a lot of us, we have a lot of opinions and we might have a lot of answers, but truly wise people ask questions more than they give their opinion. Just let it hang there for a moment, right? Jesus asks questions to people all the time. People who are wise ask questions, ask good questions. And here's that they came asking this particular question, verse 2. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Where is the newborn king? They were intelligent enough to know that there are some things that they don't know, but they're following the star, so they come asking questions. I hope that you and I ask good questions. It's fascinating that they actually says, we, we followed a star, we saw his star, and we've come to worship him. It's supernatural. There's no way to explain it, to follow a star in the sky. Somehow these wise men knew there was more. Somehow they weren't just stuck in their way in their own homeland doing their own thing, but they knew that there was more out there, and they were willing to sacrifice their lives, put their lives on hold because there was more that they wanted in their life. God was using the star and using them. Don't we somehow know that there's more than we can see? There's more than we even understand. The Magi somehow knew the king of the Jews had recently been born. The vast majority of the Jews didn't know it, but they did. And they called him the king of the Jews. The Magi call him the king of the Jews. You know who else calls him the king of the Jews? The person who puts the sign above his head when he's crucified. Where's this king of the Jews? Where's this small child who has been born? Hundreds of miles. The Magi stop in Jerusalem. Of course, if you come to that area and there's a star somehow above, 
They're not probably looking right to Bethlehem. They're going to Jerusalem because that's the city. That's where the hub is. That's where you're going to find Herod. That's where you're going to find the temple. That's where you're going to find religious leaders. You're going to find answers. And so they head to Jerusalem. The Magi likely came to pay homage, to give gifts to the king, acts of service. This is what's fascinating. Matthew clearly contrasts the eagerness of the Magi to worship. No one's saying, hey, will you guys like sacrifice and give financial gifts? Will you invest? No one's asking them to do that. They're eager to give that. They're eager to come and sacrifice their time and sacrifice their money and to come and give, pay homage to or worship a child. And yet, Matthew contrasts these Gentiles with their limited knowledge, with the apathy of the Jewish religious leaders who had a lot of knowledge, and the apathy of Herod's court. They had the scripture to inform them. The Gentiles didn't, yet they were the ones who came to offer their lives. This is huge. Listen, there's a, there's a time in scripture, and it always just rocks me every time I read it, where Jesus looks at the religious leaders of the day, and he tells them, you guys, your attitudes are so poor, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are getting in heaven ahead of you. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to the leaders of the religious communities? And that day, and that was a massive insult to them. And sometimes people who are far from God in our minds are actually people who are desperate, not self-righteous, and willing to admit their need for a Savior. Don't ever get to the place where you're self-righteous. You don't think you need a Savior. These, un, these Gentiles, they knew there was more. Speaking of astounding things in life, uh, they, came, uh, they knew he was a small child, yet they came to worship him. I always think this is fascinating. Like how many foreigners would come and go, oh my gosh, there's a two or three-year-old, let's worship him. I thought only American you know, helicopter parents did that kind of thing, right? <laughs> they know that the king of the Jews is still a child, but they come and they worship him. It cost them a lot, but they came anyways. Verse 3. It says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. It's hard for us to fathom. I think we don't understand the amount of pure evil found in Herod. C.S. Lewis wrote about the problem with evil. And here's a struggle in faith in our world, and it's a, it's a big reason why people don't come to faith, is that people look around and they see so much evil in the world, and they go, where is God? Where is God with all this pain? Where is God with all this suffering? And C.S. Lewis, amongst many others, has said God gave us free will so we could choose to serve him and love him, which means we're not robots, that we have the free will to love him because it wouldn't be love if we didn't have a choice. But when God created us with that free will, it also gave us free will that we could commit acts of evil against one another and ourselves and the world around us. And the problem of, of love, to create a, a capacity in humans to love, is you also give them a choice to not love. You give them a choice for violence. You give them a, a free will that they might hurt others. And here's what's so sad about it is people look at the violence and the pain in the world that God has given us free will, and they blame God for it. Sometimes they think the devil actually incites the free will of humans to inflict violence on each other, abuse on each other, and then he laughs as humans blame God instead of blaming him or their own free will. The problem of free will is that people like Herod who have power and money can do a lot of harm, commit a lot of acts of evil. Who was Herod? Number one, uh, it's the, our understanding is he was a short man who loved to build great buildings. 
That's neither here nor there, but that's, that's one of the thoughts, all right? <laughs> Number two, he was a Jewish man who had thousands of little boys killed in his efforts to exterminate Jesus as a child. Think about who you are when you're just like, you can just wave your wand and just create genocide. Just like with Moses placed in a basket to survive him, the evil of the Egyptian Pharaoh, go and just kill everyone two years old and younger. Just all those boys, just go kill them. Just eradicate them. They're getting to be too many in Pharaoh's uh, capacity. These Israelites might rise up against us. And in this capacity, in Herod's capacity, he's like, hey, if there really is a child that's going to be the next king, I don't want him here. Let's take care of him while he's young. How much evil must you be to, to commit murder on two-year-old boys, one-year-old boys, baby boys? This is the kind of pure evil in this man. And number three, he murdered his wife and had three of his sons and three of his sons on the very same night. Kill my wife. Kill, my, kill these three sons. He was an evil person. Caesar Augustus said it's safer to be Herod's pig than his son. He was filled with pure evil, perhaps delusional and certainly possessed by demons at times. Seeing himself as the king of the Jews, Herod felt threatened. Why would people... Uh, do this? Why would they um, turn to a child instead of me? All historical accounts paint Herod. Listen, he's a man of self-indulgence. He's a hedonist. Hedonism means this, whatever feels good, do it. Have you ever lived your life like that? Whatever feels good in the moment, just do that. Don't have discipline in your life. Don't do what's right. Just do whatever feels good in the moment. If you have uh, the power to have a new feast each day, go for it. If you have a different woman every night, why not? I'm Herod. I have the power. I can have as much wine, as much entertainment as I want. And of course, if you live like that, you'll become a fat, miserable man who finds it harder and harder to, to, to top last week's pleasure and finds it harder and harder to even receive pleasure in his life. Hedonism. The same things that once brought you joy now do not. And I like to say this, I think this is so important because we live in a, in a country in a prosperous time where we can fall into hedonism even if we're believers in Jesus. Remind, remember this, doing whatever feels good at the moment and consistently seeking self-pleasure will make you miserable and leave you unfulfilled. It really will. Living to, to please yourself is not going to make you happy. People somehow think, oh, if I had just had all this money, if I just had all this power, if I could just, it wouldn't make you happy. It leaves you empty inside. No one wants, wants their kids to grow up and be King Herod. Hey, hey, son, why don't you just grow up and do whatever feels good? That'll really bless your life. No. If you live for pleasure, you'll die empty. If you live for the Lord, you'll die with anticipation of hope and home and so much more. Verses four through eight, Herod uh, needed to know the prophecy, so he calls the experts to him. Um, they remind him the prophecy of Micah says the child will be born in Bethlehem. Verse 8 says, then he told these uh, uh, wise men who came from the east, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. Right? He's a child now, like some of the you know, nativity scenes show like a baby in these wise men, but he's actually a child by this point. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him also with my sword and my soldiers. Herod actually calls the Magi and tells him, go look for the child in Bethlehem and then come back and tell me where he is. So verse 9 of Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> After this interview, the wise men went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. Again, a miracle. 
Is it an angel? Is it a, is it a supernova? What, is it a planet or a star? What's going on there? We don't really know. So perhaps the star is the best comparison, the best thing that we have. Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Do you know why sometimes I think that, that when I read that they're filled with joy? Because this has been a long journey and thank God it's over. <laughs> Have you ever like landed at SeaTac and said, glory adios, I'm just glad that we're here, man. Every time I come home from a mission trip, I yell that in the plane, I really do. Glory adios, thank God we're home because that's exhausting. If you've been on a 20 hour flight or a flight where you missed your flight, it's been several days. These guys have been on a journey for months and they finally arrive at this place where the star is over the house. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. We finally made it. Let me ask you this question. Are you filled with joy? Do you have joy in your life, regardless of your circumstances? The Bible is very clear. The joy of the Lord is your, is your strength. And so for those who do not have joy are also lacking strength. And sometimes if we choose joy, that spiritual strength starts to well up inside of us that resolve, that faith, that ability to keep going in this life where we have to choose joy in our lives. Listen, you don't get to like just go, oh, I woke up today and I just feel joyful again. This is so great. I don't even have to work at this. Every day I, work, I wake up in the morning, my body feels excellent. My relationships are perfect. You know, I just get the day off to watch cartoons and eat cereal. I love my life, right? <laughs> no, joy is a choice that we make in our life and we choose it on a, on a regular basis that joy turns into strength for our, our lives. And they have joy when they see the star. It says they entered the house and they saw the child, again, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They saw the child, not the baby, with his mother. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, incense, and myrrh. Listen, something powerful is happening here. I want to say it, maybe I need to say it three times. Giving is an act of worship. Sometimes you don't think that, like, you know, we just sing and we acknowledge God, we'll raise our hands and glorify him and, you know, put him first in our lives and worship him. Giving is an act of worship. When you sacrifice what is yours to, to bless God and his kingdom, when you give to your church, when you give to that missionary, when you take care of your family, when you love people around you, giving is an act of worship. And the wise men wanted to give honor. They wanted to sacrifice their best. Uh, they wanted to give to the child. And there's something happening here. We've come to worship. We've come to pay homage. We haven't come just so we can see something and tell our friends, I saw that child when he was a kid. You know the one they're talking about, the healer, the teacher, the miracle worker? I saw him. It's not about them. It's about him. Sometimes in worship, kind of, oh, I like this song. I don't like this song. You know, oh, I got this money, but I don't really want to give it, but I kind of should. Like, they were excited. It was about Jesus. It wasn't about them. And I hope in our lives we can go, you know what? This Christmas isn't even about me. Why is it going to be a rich and fulfilling Christmas? Because my focus isn't on myself. It's about him. It says, after the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said, and stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Thank God that Joseph can receive visions from God in his dreams. And not just that, but he acts on them. He keeps his family safe. He protects his family because that's what godly fathers do. Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And sometimes we ask, how could they leave that night? 
How could they just make it happen right away? God finances the trip through the gifts of foreigners. They have gold. They have incense. They have myrrh. They have what they need to escape and keep the Messiah alive. Just as fascinating as it is that a census creates the fact that Jesus is born in Bethlehem and fulfills the prophecy, gifts are given to Jesus. You're going, what does Jesus need gold for? What do Mary and Joseph need this myrrh and this, this incense? Why do they need this? It finances the rescue of the child, the Christ child. How would you feel if your gift saved the child's life? Think about this. We've built churches and fund all the ministries of this, of this church. And we've got missionaries around the world. And we've done disaster relief and helped the persecuted church. And we've, all the stuff that happens all the time. And on and on it goes. There's even new things. We just helped another church this week extravagantly. Re really cool. But their, their gift actually keeps Joseph, Mary, and Jesus alive. How fun is it to give? If you haven't got there yet where like giving is fun, worshiping God through giving is fun, get there. These guys got there and they don't even have a, a background in the Lord. Ultimately, God is in control. With all the free will that humans have, God is ultimately in control. He's got a plan. And he'll use astrologers, and he'll use shepherds, and he'll use a teenage girl, and he'll raise up a guy like John the Baptist. If you're a little on the eccentric guy uh, side of things, God can use you. Because John was a little intense. God is still ultimately in control. Even though we might look around and go, what is going on in the world? Listen, there is no president. There is no movement. There is no anti-Christian. There is no persecution that's somehow going to stop the promise of God. There isn't. You might get worried, what's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen to our kids and our grandkids? God has a plan. He's still in control. Humans think they have power. Listen, how many humans thought they had power over Jesus? And they arrest him. And they spit on him and they mock him. You're just a peasant. You're just a carpenter's son. I'm in control here. And Jesus let them think they had control. But he was laying down his life. He was in control. While they put a, a clothing over his head and while they punched him in the face and thought they had the power, Jesus still was in control. Self-control. He came to give his life. Not to fight Rome, not to fight financial oppression. Jesus came to sacrifice himself. He came for your sins. 30 years after the events that we read about today, Jesus shocked the Jewish people. He repeatedly ate with and accepted Gentiles into his presence. The door to heaven was open, not just to Jews, not just to religious people. Jesus said that he came that all who would believe could live forever in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus came and was given to mankind, Christ was born. It's a cataclysmic event. It splits the calendar. The world changed forever. The new covenant was put in place. We don't sacrifice animals. Jesus, the Son of God, sacrificed himself for your sin and for mine. That's the God that we serve. 
The wise men rejoiced in who he was. They recognized the Savior and they honored him with their lives. And maybe we could do those three things as well. Recognize who he is. Rejoice in who he is. Recognize the Savior and honor him with our lives. So I'm going to ask if we could bow our heads for a moment. these guys could come from eastern lands and they could offer their lives and offer their worship and offer their resources and if they could meet the king of kings even as a child then certainly we can do those things today we have the scriptures to look back on we have the understanding of why Jesus came the most important thing for us today isn't to ask wise questions. It isn't to travel a long distance. It isn't to put ourselves through pain or suffering or somehow earn salvation through struggle. God just wants you to recognize your need for him. God wants you to understand the suffering in this world is not caused by him. It's caused by the devil. It's caused by the free will of man. Listen, if you're here today and you've been blaming God for the suffering in this world, today make a decision. I'm not gonna blame God for the devil's handiwork or for the humans that choose to take their freedom and hurt others. I'm not gonna be self-righteous I'm not going to do whatever feels good in the moment and leave myself miserable. But would you today decide that he is righteous and you are not and you need him in your life? Would you realize Jesus came for a purpose? He laid his life down, not because he had nothing else to do than to be crucified. But because he had decided ahead of time, he followed through with giving his life for yours. So would you pray with me today? Lord, take my sin from me. I need you. Lord, this Christmas, help us to understand that there is so much more than we see when we look around us. That we were created for a purpose that we're alive at this moment, that we can still impact the world. We can choose you over ourselves. And we can choose to be right with you rather than right with others. God, forgive us of our sins and Lord, help us to become the person you created us to be. Lord, help us, God, to have the joy of the Lord in our lives that we might have strength. God, help us have peace in the midst of today's circumstances. Lord, fulfillment comes not from the things of this world. Fulfillment comes from knowing you. Jesus, today, forgive us, lead us, and help us to grow in our understanding of who you are until we get home. 
We need you. If you're here today and you are pressing into the Lord, would you just raise your hand and just say, Lord, I need you. Just if you're leaning in, you're pressing in, Lord, I need you. Lord, you see our hands and you know those four words we just spoke. We're not righteous on our own. We know we need you. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you want to spend some time and sit around and pray, in this church, that's always okay. The altar is always open here. I want to remind you this. Next week, there's four gatherings. Don't come by yourself. Some of you, I'll be honest with you, don't get up and leave yet. Pastor's still watching, right? <laughs> Some of you, this is true. In the entire year of 2023, you haven't invited anybody or brought anybody to church with you. Is that, if that's true of you, maybe just say, you know what, this Christmas, we've got the extra chairs in, we have four gatherings instead of three because we're expecting, there's that word again, we're expecting God to do something great next weekend. And, and sometimes I've come to a service and I thought I should have had somebody with me here. So next weekend, four services, four o'clock on Saturday, 5.30 on Saturday, 9.30 on Sunday, and 11.15 on Sunday. Let's just do this, invite someone. I'm not saying somebody has to come because you can't control that. But let's all just say, at least I invited someone. Can we agree to that? That'd just be incredible. There's actually some, I think there might be some cards at the door, the invitation cards that have information, or you can just send them to our website or just invite them personally. Next uh, weekend, Saturday and Sunday, gonna be a beautiful time as we celebrate Christmas, all right? God bless you, have a great week. Amen.